Hey helpers, this is Being the Work, the show where therapist buddies get to relax, hang out, get out of the chair and into our lives, where we can go on a journey into the taboo and absurd and entirely agonizing moments of life as humans and helpers. I'm Blakely. And I'm Ben. And we're getting intentional about remembering our purpose, addressing our pain, expressing our grievances, and doing some self-care together so we can keep helping people. We're really glad you're here. Thank you, Blakely. I'm really glad I'm here. Mm-hmm. And everyone, there's some links. <laughs> there's some links in the show notes for support and ways to get in touch with us. If you'd like to hang out sometime, let's get started. Here we go. Today's episode is an interview with our Being the Work teammate, Sarah. She is a old friend from years ago, went to our master's degree together. We just wanted to bring you her story and let you know who all is behind the production of this. We absolutely love to hear stories about how you got into this work and what brought you, how it's meaningful to you, and also how it's difficult for you to be a helper, and what you think you might need to be able to sustain that career. We would love to gather more stories and be able to share the things that we can connect over. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm all right, I guess. How are you guys? I'm good. Good. Sarah, how are you? Good. Can never tell on text what your tone is. So I I (laughs) infer, oh, she's freaking out. Yesterday I was a little bit. Yeah. Okay. You were inferring that correctly. This morning I just stayed busy and then I was like, okay, now I can like stop and let my brain think. I just didn't let myself think about it. Oh yeah. Smart. Keep it in a cage. Yeah. Smart, smart. Yeah. <laughs> my house is looking great right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> God, I wish I operated that way. <laughs> I channel it into destruction. Anybody, when they realized they had these symptoms of ADD or ADHD, like when you noticed it, did you just let it run rampant for a little while just to see if you really had it? I don't know if I can. I think I've gotten very used to the habits I have. Like my thoughts, I still feel like I'm in this middle ground of like, do I really have it? And then there are times where I'm like, you're just letting it go to see if you really have it, don't you? Like, <laughs> like encouraging it. It starts to like, feel like this like self-fulfilling thing. Right. And then like, I'm like, into it. I'm like, yeah, but are you just creating it? And then I'll find myself waking up from like a big zone out period where my mind is really not productive. And I'm like, yep, not making that up. <laughs> yeah. Not making that up. Yep. I just open up the ADHD hashtag on Instagram for five minutes. And I'm like, oh, I recognize all of you. And I didn't know that I did. Yes. I think it's interesting that you have thought about thinking about it. <laughs> like how thought it, about thinking about AD, yeah. ADD. Yeah. That yes. you I were mean, like that's, thinking. That's, that seems like that weird if I didn't. Yeah. Well, that's what I was kind I of get, chuckling about when you were talking about like you're hyper-focusing on hyper-focusing hyper-focusing as a symptom yeah. of hyper-focusing like it's become right. such a it's just, yeah <laughs> it's like hiding in plain sight mm-hmm. sarah when did you realize that you were 
dealing with some of these symptoms? Mm, probably about a year ago. Okay. Maybe less than that. What brought it up for you? Like Social how did media. You... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have a I have a good friend who is neurodivergent and posts a lot of stuff about that. And she started posting some things about ADHD. And I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> is that true? Is that real? Mm -hmm. Which just got me hyper-focused on going down that path. Yeah. And I had already suspected that for my daughter. And mm -hmm. my mom had just got a diagnosis like not too long ago. And oh, so wow. I was like, oh okay. yeah, this is, oh, like, this is right in the that's middle. probably true. <laughs> right. Because like, I heard oh, a number just this week that was like, once one person in a family is diagnosed, like there's a 40% chance that a parent or child mm -hmm. will also be diagnosed, which I just, which also yeah. seems small at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that the other day, or actually this morning, I was thinking, I, I don't know, I heard some, some statistic that it's like 7%, don't quote me on this, 7% of the, of adults in the U.S. have it. And then I was thinking, I was like thinking all week, that's probably like you can't have it because there's only seven percent like the likelihood is really low and then today i'm like wait what if what's the likelihood if your parent has it and your brother has it what's the likelihood in our field of work it's higher than seven percent <laughs> like there are concentric circles here and you are overlapping several i believe <laughs> have i told you it's about a... my grandparents house no oh my god so my paternal grandfather and I have the same birthday. He's literally, he's exactly, when he's dead, but he was exactly 50 years older than me. And so oh, I think wow, a okay. lot of things were attributed to more of a Zodiac arrangement oh, sure, than a, sure. a genetic arrangement with the two of us being very similar people. Because they lived in a house that was not finished, like plywood shit all over the place because they had built it, but not finished. Right. Rooms like just walled off, like don't go over there. Wow. Crazy shit like that when I was a kid. And I, whatever. I didn't think a lot about it, right? It's just my grandparents' mm -hmm. house. They live in the country. They're weird. Mm -hmm. And he had a recliner and behind it was space. And in that space, there were just cardboard boxes full of paperback books. As you touch cardboard boxes. Yeah. Which are, do, are there, are there paperback books in there? No, but there are some within reach. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and he had a, like a monstrous book collection and a huge movie collection. And those were just like nice. his channeled energy all the time. Yeah. And it all makes so much more sense now because I watch yeah. my dad and it just all adds up. Cause I think my dad has always thought that he's a stupid person and he's not. Mm. I think it's this constant chasing your tail feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sarah, you said that you are an Enneagram one. Mm-hmm. What does that, what's that mean? Speaking of a paperback book within reach. Yeah. Hey, look at you, the essential Enneagram. I think the Enneagram one coupled with this conversation is really interesting because Enneagram one is so not ADHD. Yes, exactly what I was thinking. And so I'm, I'm really intrigued about that. And like, what does that mean? Like I could spend forever, I think, trying to unravel what that looks like, what that has looked like for me in the past and like uh -huh. what it looks like now, because that's very different. Mm -hmm. But Enneagram ones are very rule followers doing 
things precisely mm-hmm. and organized and being yeah. the most correct. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Be, I would say what sums me up is being the most correct and following the rules. Mm-hmm. The description in the book has, it's easy for me to see what's wrong with things as they are and to see how they could be improved, which sounds so much yes. like that, like the network of coming together, disparate parts that we can kind of weave. Sure. And yeah. Understand. Yeah. Right. Like a theme, even still now of my existence, I feel like is just asking almost every day about anything. How can this be more efficient? Like, let's make this more streamlined and more effective. There's a better way. That's that's like my tagline. There has to be a better way. That's like with How the strengths finder. My number six is maximizer. So taking mm-hmm. things as they are and like, let's level it up. Let's make it better. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think that's some of that energy, right? If this is good, then let's just mm-hmm. see how we can even make it better. Mm-hmm. And that energy, I think, is some of that, a little bit of that motor, that push, that mm-hmm. what if I dig into this? What could it be? And also very dissatisfying because nothing is ever good enough. I just wonder how that affects your, even just your sense of self. If that achiever thing is such a drive and then you have this seemingly disjointed attention regulation that has to get hard in like your mm-hmm. self place. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious if when I was younger, my oneness was developed out of an attempt to not have ADHD. Oh, yeah. Sure. Like, to be that diligent like, person. How can I, right. How can I not be that because that was very parented at us like that we shouldn't be that way how has that impacted you in adulthood and parenthood the way i operate hasn't changed because i'm so used to myself right (laughs) the realization doesn't change the lived experience yeah but it has helped me just i don't know affirm i guess that this is what i need like it's okay that this is just, this is what I need. And I do that clearing of the desk so many times, like, okay, everyone stop talking. We need to get out of the house. I need X, Y, and Z. And my kids know that about me too. Like when I say, everybody stop, they're like, okay, yeah. Need a break. I mean, I, okay. Hang on, hang on. I gotta think. Gotta I'm definitely, think. I'm definitely the, um, turn the radio off to find somewhere you know, driving and needing to focus. Yes. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You you can't not hear it or listen or pay attention. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, man. Yeah. That question on the attitude site that we were looking at about being overwhelmed by stores and parties. I don't remember what else it said. Staying home with children is like always being in that environment. <sighs> Because Whatever you, have... you just said, I'm here for. <laughs> and now the AC guy is coming. So, oh my all god, all of what we're talking about is happening. What time? Then within 20 minutes, apparently, oh which wasn't supposed to happen until like three hours from now. So I had already put it in a later category. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, adjust. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to let you go. But I cleared the thing and I've laid the path and it's supposed to go this way. Yeah. Damn it. Right. I cleared the table. A tree fell in my path. <laughs> God damn it. Your bachelor's was psychology? Mm-hmm. 
and then yeah. went straight into the Masters of Counseling. Mm -hmm. And that's where we met. We were both in the mental health track. We were in every single class together, I think. Yeah, we both yeah. did daytime, so we yeah. had every class. I'm curious, how did you want to be a helper? Like, how did you get there? So, possibly the hyperfixation on uh, my childhood was tumultuous, traumatic. And my mom did a really great job at getting me into counseling at a I mean, I was like seeing this public school counselor in elementary school and then intermittently throughout like different periods of life had gone to many counselors. And by the time you're in high school, you know, everybody's pushing like you need to know what you should want to do for the rest of your life. Sure. And so <laughs> as a natural like helper personality and like a very, I would use the word empathetic, but I think especially then I was just hyper vigilant because of trauma. Like, so I could sure. read people well. Mm -hmm. I leaned pretty easily to counseling. Like I had had good experiences, attributed a lot of my like ability to be a good functioning human despite my childhood to going to counseling. And so it kind of felt like a natural fit for me and potentially hyper-focused. I don't know. But like once I decided that at 14 or 15 years old, I was doing that. I found a college that had a master's program so I could go straight through. Like everything was very strategic. And wow. Wow. I yeah. just like did the thing, Man. which is why I went straight so the, from. Do you Have you noticed that that's sort of just a hallmark of, of you? Like you, you set the current so that you can just float it, right? Like as long as I yeah. set the path as clear and smooth as possible. Yeah. This is it, right? This is like, yes. <laughs> you 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 were nervous to come on the podcast, and there's a a few things that we wanted to have you talk about. Just have everybody that listens get to know who all's on our team, and also you're a helper. And God knows, I, you haven't actually said this to me, but I think I know because uh, I'm so smart that that you have used what you have learned and your experience with helping people in counseling as a parent. When you contacted me to be your, your supervisor, I was like, well, yeah, of course. And so that was like super interesting to me. Like still after all this time, you wanted to be a part of the field. Mm -hmm. So why? So the initial why was I really wanted something outside of my family and my kids for myself to have space away from them, for my own fulfillment, to get back to something that I love. It was kind of always the goal to stay home and raise them when they were small and eventually get back in the game at some capacity. And mm -hmm. my youngest started kindergarten this year. So it felt like a decent time. Like, okay, some time is freeing up. I could go do this. I still I kept up my license the whole time because I like it. I do. I like learning about it. I like staying relevant and I like people. So I wanted to come back to that. I enjoy hearing people's stories and helping them make sense of their experience in a way that they can't do for themselves. Mm. Yeah. Do you remember a time that you did that, that you felt really proud of? There's a few times, some 10 years ago and some 
that were in this like current set of seeing clients. Mm-hmm. There was one in particular right after school. I worked briefly before having kids. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> while you were pregnant. Yes. <laughs> Very briefly. Because <laughs> that was the next step. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that was the plan. That was the plan. Yes. Um, yeah, I had a, a mom and daughter client that I worked with not even really for that long. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you now how long it was, but like in the scheme of things, not that long of a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And their ability to communicate with each other drastically changed. I mean, I think a huge part of me feeling good and confident about the experience was that they were profusely thankful, like multiple times of like, this has dramatically changed our relationship. Mm-hmm. This has made things so much better. Of course, like that's the goal. And it's not something you hear very often. <laughs> like, no. even even if there has been change, you don't always get met with that oh, feedback. That's usually when they leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get you just get <laughs> ghosted. Yes. <laughs> I'm good now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It felt fulfilling. It felt like it it helped me feel like I had purpose. Mm. I think. Like it it fulfilled that like this is why I'm in this, you know, refreshed because in the, in the work of seeing, you know, clients back to back to back, refreshed is not often a word that you would probably describe as how you're feeling. Um, but that interaction, the things that when, when something like that happens, you can see that they are more calm with one another, that they are more wise with one another and able to communicate their experiences and ask for what they need and point out problems to one another in a respectful way that's like you can just see they've got a Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. vibe with one another and you know inherently that you are are a part of that and Mm -hmm. to be that bridge that connects people to insights and to love and joy and excitement and contentment and like it that the word fulfilling you know it just feels transcendent yeah i didn't sit in that like pause long enough because i also feel like it was like oh that's great next client no we don't sit with a good feeling we're just glad we had it yeah (laughs) great cool move on yeah good you're welcome goodbye yeah. yeah. Now I have to go worry about someone else. I don't have to worry therapy about you. Therapy robot. Yeah. I am a therapy robot, but you felt refreshed. Well, and even to use that refreshed word, that's under, if you were right. actually looking at an emotion chart, it's under that category of contentment, safety, security, feeling mm-hmm. at ease, feeling like that relief of some mm-hmm. sort of pressure. Right. And I think we yeah. all feel that sense of like the pressure in the room of being the, mm-hmm. the fixer. Mm-hmm. And when you watch them fix their own stuff with mm-hmm. you as kind of a conduit to that, it's powerful. Ooh, good point. It's, it's in that teamwork that it feels energetic and mm-hmm. lovely and awesome. But then yeah. when it's all on you to find the answer, to fix people, mm-hmm. and that's easy to like fall into, that responsibility, easy mm-hmm. to fall into. Yeah. And it also is like, Oh, it's such a burden. Like it's so mm-hmm. taxing to, mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. So how did you make the choice? So like we got reconnected. You were also sort of on a personal journey of like 
what do I find in my life that is fulfilling that's not being a mom that Mm -hmm. is also fulfilling some purpose and meaning yeah 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 um so how did you make the decision like okay this isn't really for me this this role in itself yeah that was so hard especially to make that choice when you're regularly meeting with clients Mm -hmm. like that pressure and responsibility feels very intense of like Mm -hmm. now I am responsible for these people Mm -hmm. and what I'm just going to leave like that doesn't feel fair there's no stop point with the way that we flow you're always at the beginning with someone in the middle with someone toward the end with someone but regardless you're throwing it all down at once that right yeah I feel that yeah I think it's what keeps us from changing and progressing in our careers anyway a lot of the time hundred percent. I could, mm-hmm. I could totally see that because I think, and maybe my oneness played into that too, of like, I don't know. I feel like maybe I take on more responsibility than the average person. Maybe that's not true in our profession, but mm-hmm. like that doing what's right and justice mm-hmm. and like none of me leaving doesn't feel fair to you. Yeah. Right. So no, I think that's quite normal for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's normal yeah. in our field. I think it's normal if we're talking about the ADHD thing, that justice orientation. I think it's normal for your personality, the way that you've described it. It's all being carried with you. So you have to feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it kind of came down to like seeing clients. I was, I had very few, honestly, like I was extremely part-time mm-hmm. and still seeing clients and then coming home and being the primary caregiver for my children every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't show up at home mm-hmm. the way that I wanted to and see clients. It felt like a lose-lose in many ways because there was no good choice. There was not a choice that felt good to me in the moment. Right. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think I think when it comes to the easily triggering conversations about self-care, the these are the dilemmas that we experience that can be extremely reduced down to simplistic discussions around either, well, so what, stick it out, be better, mm-hmm. or you know, the conversations about kale and bubble baths. (laughs) And I haven't actually had anyone sit me down and go, you need to take care of yourself. You need to have, you know, bubble baths or kale. Mm -hmm. But I have been to several trainings and read several articles and books and things like that that are just like reductive. And it's not actually the difficult discussion of the actual dilemma that's pulling me in different directions to take care of myself and to take care of my family or devote to my clients. And that's a really difficult place to sit. It's a really hard place to sit, especially if you're alone. And that's the point of this, doing the work and having support for us to mm-hmm. be in the middle of that dilemma, feeling like our heart is being pulled in two directions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Allison's 
episode where where she was talking about this like she was either having to to choose uh being able to have children which was a passion in her life forever and to help people and meet needs like the system she was working in could not make both a reality mm -hmm. and so like she talked about being in her car and crying and like desperate yeah yeah right and she chose a brave choice a brave choice to give up on a passion for another passion mm -hmm. like this is our lives this is like how a triggered <laughs> nerd <laughs> how <laughs> Ooh, fire in my stomach how am i supposed to choose that right how am i supposed to like find a hobby mm -hmm. that will re make that choice clear because a hobby is also adding something else to do when half mm -hmm. of what we're talking about is there's too much to do it's the wrong solution Ooh. we all need mm -hmm. hobbies sure mm -hmm. it's just not applicable here yeah mm -hmm. right and it starts to feel like the system just takes it from us the circumstances are so tough right right anyways that whole rant um to basically ask you how did you make the choice to choose yourself your family over getting back into this career yeah I think there's two things that made that easier for me. One is that I had the experience before coming back to work of what it was like to be home full time and, and not working. And so mm -hmm. I think had I had kids and worked simultaneously the whole time, that choice would feel harder. But like I knew very clearly what was on the other side of my choice. And the other thing is that over the last two to three years, probably three years, I've done a lot of my own work and dealt with a lot of my own stuff about being everything for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it was easy when faced with this to see, like, this doesn't feel like an easy choice, but I, I can clearly see what's happening here. And I know for myself the right choice. I just don't want to say it out loud mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel good. Yeah, right to say it out loud, but like I knew. Right. And so I think having done that work prior to being faced with a hard choice made it easier to mm -hmm. follow through mm -hmm. instead of staying in that stuckness mm -hmm. for a longer period of time. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I think but... this is also a great opportunity to point out half of the, the appeal in our field of work is the diversity of options. Doesn't mean we're always gonna get paid well, no. but we can <laughs> always right. apply our skills right. and our education in Right. Countless different spaces and methods. And we forget that. We forget the opportunities that it gives us to kind of diversify our experience. For sure. Mm -hmm. This feels silly to say out loud, but honestly, I feel like the biggest thing that I do is work with my daughter who has mm. sensory processing disorder, who has dyslexia, who really takes a lot of attention and effort. Mm -hmm. And that's not a, a traditional way to be using my skills, but has helped immensely to understand and be able to be compassionate instead of just like an angry mom. Like, mm -hmm. why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing without my knowledge? Like, it would be very easy to just overlook that and feel like she's, you know, a, a bad kid and right. 
So I've used that daily. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I agree with you that it's not a traditional way to use our skill set. And this may be me becoming a social worker again. Um, <laughs> because I go back to social work origins with like Jane Adams and friendly visitors and just the whole community organization of being in the place where you live, where where things happen, taking care of your village. Like that's all, that's all like the most traditional, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a social worker thing to do, right? Well, like my yeah. brand. Yeah. 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 It's like you having it and me <laughs> getting the benefits from it. <laughs> yes. It suits me better. It's okay. I'm curious, Sarah, what your experience being a part of the podcast has been and why be be a part of this? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm trying to decide which way I want to go with this. <laughs> Red pill, blue pill. Yeah. I always really admired you, Ben, in school. And <laughs> what? Let me just say before you go too far, Ben has a way of pulling compliments out of our interviews. You know, I've noticed this. You know, I've noticed this. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why you keep like, me around. I'll tell you, it's fine. I just want. It's okay. okay. It's all true. It's all... you're so great. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, back what to the question. The question? Yeah, I saw the opportunity to invite you into this because I was privileged to be there to help you sort of figure out it, to be a counselor or not to. And I saw an opportunity to invite you into this. And so I'm just curious why you decided to do that and why you've stayed. Yeah. When you asked me about, or even, you didn't even really ask, you just kind of like floated the idea out there at first. Mm-hmm. And it felt like an immediate yes for me. Partly that goes back to my interactions with you in school. And I oh, just, right, you I always, me. yes, because I admired you <laughs> because <laughs> I, I don't know, you were always so kind and so approachable and, uh, there's a word that I can't come up with. But I always was intrigued by your compassion, probably. Like you presented in a different way than what I could at that time, in a way that I was like jealous of. Hmm. <laughs> but like in a good way. Like you were able to sit with people and and listen and be compassionate. And and I always just really admired that about you. Hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. And Coming into supervision, especially after like a big, almost 10 year break from being in this type of setting at all was really, I realized how much I missed it. I missed learning. I missed applying my brain in a different way. Like Mm -hmm. for 10 years, I just was raising kids. I mean, I say just, but The, the cerebral part you're talking about feels limiting. Right. Yes. I went from my master's program very quickly to staying home with an infant 24 seven by myself while my husband was at work, Mm -hmm. singing the freaking ABCs 87 times a day. And Mm -hmm. all of the learner in me died. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just, I, 
adore staying home. It's a both and, right? Like, yeah, so many great things about that. But like that part of me. But you're also a full faded. human being, right? Right. You're not just a mom. Right. right. So coming back into the work and supervision, and especially like seeing where you are now. I know we had this conversation at one point that mm-hmm. like. I see where you are and I want to be there, but I don't want to do the work that you had to do to be where you are. Yes. I'm saying, I think you're really smart and have a lot of wisdom that I don't have because I wasn't in the field. And I think that's super cool. And I want to know it all. Like that learner part of me is like, I I want to know the things that, you know, and so being invited into these conversations Honestly, like after listening to your first season, kind of before we had really done much, I was just listening through Mm -hmm. and a lot of my hesitancy coming on. So I hear you and Blakely talk and you're so smart and I used to feel smart, but now I feel like I don't have anything relevant to say. Mm -hmm. And so like, I love listening to both of you, but I felt very inadequate, like coming on and feeling like I had anything worth saying because you guys are so smart and I love that. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel, Blakely? Um, How do you feel about that? It's interesting because the smart button has been like my dopamine button my whole life. So yay again. (laughs) You got another another meaningless gold star? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, Uh, I collect those always. That's fine. Yeah. Add it to my chart. I'll, I'll but... give you two. <laughs> <I'll take another laughs> double, double it up. <laughs> here's, here's two gold stars. But yeah. the thing while you're talking that's so interesting to me is I, my path has been, it's almost like we're ships passing in the night, if you will. Like I've gone the opposite direction that you have. Like I had, I had very minimal life plan. I kind of crashed through it. I knew that this like social work path was the one I was going to walk and everything else around me was just going to happen, I guess. And so I dove into the trenches and did all of the the wild, crazy crisis work and the, the child welfare work and the HIV work and all the stuff. And then my family showed up and I couldn't mm. balance everything. It just gradually mm. started getting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier mm. on the family side of things. And I had prided myself on this compartmentalization that I could be two different people all the time and not parenting my children because I was devoting my entire life to mentally ill people because they needed mm-hmm. me. And I already had relationships mm-hmm. with them before my mm-hmm. children were born. I had this relationship before you showed up. And so that conflict mm-hmm. of not knowing what it was going to be to rip the plug from my social working and throw everything at family life. Like even when you know it's, it's my legacy, it's worth it. It's, it's mm-hmm. my children. I have to raise them mm-hmm. to be people. It mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. feels weird and bad and scary and like you're betraying someone and Mm -hmm. I don't know to hear the validation of that process that you've had and finding your way back to wanting the knowledge that you didn't acquire during that time it makes me remember that it's not all a loss to have pulled the plug I still have Mm -hmm. all of that stuff that I experienced and I did and I've still chosen what Mm -hmm. I needed to choose and I'm still sad that I didn't have the first year's of investing more in my family that I did. So I don't know. It just gives me the strange like validation and conflict. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like you're you're ironically still seeing it as either or. Yeah. And not both and. Yeah, I'm still you working know, to push it all into mm-hmm. together. One place. Yeah. Right. 
I feel like both of you have talked a little bit about, I don't know, the way that I've understood it is there's some atrophy that occurs when you don't exercise that thing, you use it or lose it, right? And so that doesn't mean that it's not there. It doesn't mean that it's not a passion. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that you are, you have devoted to help someone else. Blakely, I, I got to be there, you know, when you started to pull the plug, which was a very slow pull. <clears throat> And That's it fair. felt like That's fair. It felt like a yank. I because felt once like I'm there, I'm there. But I'm you're sitting right. here going like thing. just do it already. I can't. I can't. I can't. It's the middle of the pandemic, like really the intense part. And I'm like, thank God I am not there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you're like doing telehealth from your bed. <laughs> All of the all the drama from our workplace was in your house. Mm -hmm. You were having Mm -hmm. to do mandatory overnights. Oh yeah, that and triggering man. You are managing all of this, but what was? I don't remember if it was like during that period or after you finally pulled the plug. And I'm like, yeah, I, I helped that. I helped pull the plug. <laughs> yes. Anyways, yes. Like, my wife loved you. That's for uh, sure. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. That's good to know. I mean, it wasn't um, that deep, I don't know but... if it was like, I don't know if it was after you pulled the plug and after you quit that I, I got to see and witness you beginning to embrace your children in a way that I had never seen that part of you. Hmm. No, and that was... Exist. That was incredible to see. Like, it was so cool to watch you. And like, I, I, I had never seen you orient to another person that way. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a, it was caring and loving and patient. And I mean, it was just like, I don't know. It was another part of you that I was like, damn, I get to see another layer of my friend that I had never seen before. Well, I mean, so, just the way you say that, like, it, of course it was there in the time that I had, but I was parenting for like two hours a day. Between six and eight, that's right. all I had. And so to bring it back to the conversation we're actually having, we have to see ourselves where we are. And that's just who I need to be now. And I think mm-hmm. that's some of what it sounds like Sarah's talking about is you're pulling in that other part of you that you need to be too without giving too much of yourself away. You don't have to mm-hmm. sacrifice the bubble mm-hmm. that you've created that's really joyful and mm-hmm. fulfilling to you while mm-hmm. also acknowledging that there's a piece of you that has been neglected because of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like I'm just doing it in the opposite direction. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Having both things mm-hmm. of, of taking care of yourself and taking care of other people, that feels like a losing battle if you look at it just on the surface, right? And so that's where it's like the, the real discussions about caring for ourselves and caring for one another is much more nuanced. Literally, the biggest thing that I've done for self-care lately is practicing loving kindness in sessions where I, instead of getting wrapped up in people's traumatic content, I begin to say things to myself of, may you find relief, may you find peace. It, it, it just is something that sets my intention a little bit differently, sets my orientation just a little bit differently. That has done more for me than any kale smoothie or hobby 
I don't know, like that it's just as this is more surgical than it is like, I don't know, taking a hammer to everything. And I feel like that's the message that we get from most self-care stuff. And it's isolating. It's black and white. It's not actually attending to who you are. It becomes mechanical. That black and Mm -hmm. white divided, isolated. It's not about who I am or who I'm becoming or acknowledging mm-hmm. the ways that I actually need to change. The, mm-hmm. the things around us don't want us to change because we need mm-hmm. to keep mm-hmm. the flow. We've been really mechanized. Even our education system mm-hmm. is created to make good factory workers. Mm-hmm. You know this. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> self-care in what it actually is, in our existential experience of a human being, is not anything that the world of society i.e. American culture that we're talking about wants. Nobody wants that. Yeah. I remember it just reminded, like, when you said Mm -hmm. that, uh, oh, my God. Okay, so, like, you are absolutely right. It's, like, hitting so many many things for me. But, like, uh, I remember Felicity's episode, and she talked about that professor that said, we are going to mold you into the counselors that we need you to be. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you said our education system is like creating all these good factory workers, I'm just sitting here going like, I have felt like the thing that really got me burnt out from the both the systemic side and my personal side, feeling like I was the Bentronic 1000 therapy robot. And all I was supposed to do was say the words and document. Oh, that sounds like it was hard (laughs) have you tried oh that's terrible we should start a deep breathing exercise how do they have a button pop up reject this exercise (laughs) (laughs) reject let's try a thought log Uh uh-huh how about we find disputing thoughts like a choose your own adventure book like would you like to proceed to cognitive distortions or would you like to take (laughs) the Cave path through mindfulness. <laughs> I'm glad your perspective is is here anyway, but especially so knowing more of that background because I think there are a lot of us that are just questioning how we're doing this and where it fits and who we actually are and what to do with our need to pursue. I mean, I don't know that I mentioned it in a recording space, but I just saw on one of the uh, social work blogs. It's kind of old. It was a like six month old article, but basically the polling of social workers was that two thirds of them were considering leaving the field. Wow. Two thirds. It was 60 plus percent. Yeah. Wow. And so we're all thinking it, we've thought it, unless you're one of the magical Mm -hmm. 30% that just has chosen this and committed to it and has some sort of energy I don't have and can love it forever. I feel like those folks are neurotypical. I think they are. And I think they're also 25. (laughs) Sure. Right. Yeah, that probably, yeah, this is pre-burnout, folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But putting value to the the process of engaging and taking a break and going back and rethinking things and just going through what you actually need to do with who you are and where you are and what you're doing. It's a super, like, just that choice to say no. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a hard place to be. And Even after you say yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
for sure. Preserving the right to change your mind. I don't know how yeah. mm-hmm. many spaces of therapy I have said mm-hmm. it out loud to other people, but this is another one of those things that we don't like to bring home. Mm-hmm. You reserve the right to change your mind. Well, we are incredibly grateful that you're here. You've helped so much with the social media stuff. That's what I was going to say. Anybody uh, who follows our Instagram is grateful you're here. I would have never, (laughs) ever. (laughs) Oh, God. Because Blakely Blakely was was a part of that. Like, she was like, she had to do it. I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's not better. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -mm. That's a trudge. So, Mm -hmm. yes, that has helped immensely your influence is here so i just want to let you know that thanks yeah. it's been fun to be here who's your favorite pop culture therapist oh, oh right right, right. Ask me this. i hate that yeah question. i never i never remember that question i love this but it may only be for me I, if someone would like to outvote this question it's okay but i can't seem to let it go it's a good one if someone has a good answer i don't feel like i'm very <laughs> pop culture relevant I don't feel like I know. I don't feel like I know. Books, movies, um, TV. There's a current show that I'm watching that has a therapist on it. That's like the only thing I can think of, but it wouldn't be like my favorites, just the one that comes to my mind. How do you feel um, about that one? I feel annoyed every single time because... <laughs> what is it from? New Amsterdam. It's like a oh. hospital show, mm-hmm. a psychiatrist in a hospital type setting. Just the whole point of the show, you know, they're going to make it like crisis solution in two sentences. And every time I'm like, it doesn't work like that. And I think it's also frustrating that like people see that perception of what therapy is like. I don't know. I'd be scared to be a a therapist right now because then it feels like I should come and you're going to tell me this really profound thing. And then I'm, things are going to be better. Right. (laughs) And it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's almost like the seemingly osmosis process. If you're just in my presence, it'll be better. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the least toxic, crappy iterations. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. They yeah. they tell one story. The therapist connects all the dots immediately. Mm-hmm. Do the music. Comes up yeah. with a solution that it, the client identifies with immediately. That's it. Aha. <laughs> Thank you for entertaining oh, yeah. my question. Yes. <laughs> Although my my actual favorite might be the one that you guys showed me last week that I don't remember the name of. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Rick and Morty. <laughs> That's yes. our yes. <laughs> I think that is the branded podcast fave is the old that Pickle is, Rick. Pickle Rick in Pickle Rick therapy. But what did he call her? Uh, agent of average. A- yeah, agent of average. You are literally yeah. dripping in a strip with mall. rat guts. <laughs> It's a good right. one. Um, well, well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We're so happy to have you. There's a lot of us out here that don't get to like participate in this podcast and, and understand what we do and really have support. Uh, we want to get this out as much as possible. So if you could please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review, tell us what your favorite episode was or your favorite part of the conversation would be. That'd be amazing. Um, if you have some feedback for us that we could do some things better, uh, rather than put that on iTunes, please email us. We would love to hear your feedback. We want to make this the best we can. It is beingthework at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at beingthework. We do this out of the, the passion we have for us, for this work, for you, wanting to support you, wanting to help you understand 
that self-care is not just isolated work. This is something we need to do with one another, for one another. That is why we do this. And so any, any feedback you can give us, five-star reviews you could give us would be wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Cool, cool. All right. I'll... Alrighty. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.